Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Dia Dhamma sisters and brothers, uh, it's uh, wonderful to see many of you still here. <laughs> so this evening I would like to talk about uh, energy, factor of enlightenment, and joy, factor of enlightenment. Basically it's just a continuation of where Gina uh, stopped yesterday. Uh, same theme. Well, energy, how do you feel? <laughs> Are you still happy with your practice? Maybe so. <laughs> how many of you wish that there's a shortcut <laughs> to enlightenment? <laughs> how about a pill? <laughs> Just the ticket. <laughs> I get all this question that Bhante, they must be away. <laughs> Anything worth doing really needs our attention, needs energy. So be patient, take it easy. There's a lot to learn on the way. It's like arriving on a journey is very important, but the way how you go is very adventurous. So it's an adventure. Consider it as an adventure to explore. It doesn't matter whether you have pain or sleepiness. It's a journey unfolding like a lotus flower. I always call this practice planting Dhamma seed. Actually, I've already written a book uh, about planting Dhamma seeds. It's a wonderful metaphor for me. You just put the seed out there in the soil. And then you water it, you nurture it, you take care of it, you remove the weeds. So you see it's a growth, you know, and it's really a joy to see something growing. As I was in Africa, I used to grow things, and it's really wonderful to watch as something unfolds, you know, that started small like that, like your intention even to come here. It can unfold. I wasn't born a monk. <laughs> I started prior with such intention, you know, putting energy here and there, sometimes difficult uh, practice, but then you feel joy out of that. So, let me talk about energy today, and we see how many people remain in this meditation hall, <laughs> because <laughs> most people, <laughs> especially in this uh, day and age, it's a developed world, so we need to take a quick path, microwave, <laughs> practice. Uh, well, <laughs> meditation requires uh, some energy, and it's really wonderful. All of you, I think you have learned some skill. Like my, myself, I learned how to ride a bicycle in Africa. It's the most difficult skill as a young person because it's an adult bike. Uh, adult bike. We don't have training wheels like you have here. <laughs> and it's not small, it's big and you're little. So you try to ride it, you fall down again, you ride and uh, it's not coming and everybody's really riding and they're having a good time. So, and you have to grow up, you know, Let's say uh, 
five years, 10 years, until you reach the saddle. So it takes a lot of patience. And uh, I really learned a lot from that process. And even there was joy once uh, uh, I learned it and I waved like this. I removed all my hands and fell down, actually. I <laughs> 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 was not very skillful, actually. <laughs> Next time I started uh, really putting my hands there, but still maintaining, maintaining the balance. So the same thing, even when you practice, even if we have been practicing for years, still we need some energy to maintain the balance. It's a continuous, really balancing, you know. So I learned a lot of uh, patience and the perseverance, willingness to begin again and again as I was doing that skill. You can relate to this skill. Maybe you learn a piano. Some of you, you learn how to ride a bicycle. Anything really you learn, uh, it requires some patience. I learned some determination to begin and uh, not to give up uh, until I attain my goal. Also, joy arose to really know how to ride a bike. Really, we don't have many cars in, in Africa, so you have to get from one place to another. So instead of walking, now you can ride a bicycle. So it was really amazing. So energy, in Pali, it's birya. Vira mean, means one who works without interruption. So the mental state that really helps you to work without really interrupted, it's uh, what we call uh, energy. And this energy is uh, present and available during mindfulness investigation. Uh, as Gina talked about yesterday, actually there are three brothers and sisters probably. <laughs> they always work together. <laughs> When he, there's mindfulness, real mindfulness, not just small mindfulness. Real mindfulness, there's energy. When, where there's energy, there's mindfulness. Though we talk separately, these factors, but actually they overlap in a way. So you find me in this talk talking also about mindfulness because it's very difficult to separate in real life when you practice any of them seriously. Now, we're talking, all, all of us, we're talking about enlightenment. <laughs> Do you know really what it means to be enlightened or to be awake? You don't know. How many of you are enlightened? <laughs> Maybe you can tell us what it, it really means. I'm not yet, actually. <laughs> so. But uh, according to Buddhism, uh, enlightenment, psychologically, it means... Uh, uh, the absence of ego, removal of ego and conceit. Ethically, it means the removal of greed, hatred, and delusion. Uh, and uh, um, you can say metaphorically, uh, it, it means at the end of suffering, uh, it's really the total end, the total end of suffering, not half suffering, total. So you can say ultimate happiness. Do you really want that to happen to you? If you make that a priority, then energy will come <laughs> because you'll have a higher priority in life. So help, to your, uh, this, uh, help yourself to this ultimate happiness. And it doesn't come like a thunder, one, like this, it's just every moment we are planting a seed. Every moment we are planning, planting a seed towards that goal. It's very, very important. 
Now, uh, according to our discourse, the fourth foundation of mindfulness, uh, enlightenment factor of energy is brought by uh, being mindful when uh, enlightenment factor of energy is present or absent. Here we apply mindful effort to know. I told you those three together. It's a complex, but whenever I use it, you know that it's a shortcut whenever I use energy. Otherwise, I have to say mindfulness, effort to understand is so exhausting. So whenever <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll just say energy, but you understand it involves mindfulness and understanding. And also, I may not repeat enlightenment factor of energy. I might just say energy or effort. It's so one and the same thing. So uh, this is just a simple awareness of whether it's present or it's not. And there are these moments you are going to experience whether you feel that there's no energy or it's present. <coughs> Mindfulness investiga and investigation reveal some results. Actually, once you are mindful and you are investigating, there's some inspiration you get and motivation. And that's how energy arises. It doesn't just arise from nowhere. It's like a, a scientist in a laboratory when experiment and you see some results. Wow, gee, it's, <laughs> it's wonderful. So they are willing to work for hours and hours in a, lab in a laboratory. So if you really put in your mindfulness and investigation, I think you'll be in good shape to really ar arouse energy. Uh, Buddha continued uh, to say that if the enlightenment factor of energy is present, we should frequently pay wise attention to the primary condition for the arising, uh, for the arisen enlightenment factor of energy, for the bringing to its uh, full development and full perfection. That's according to the sutta. And if it's uh, uh, if enlightenment factor of energy is absent we should frequently pay attention, uh, wise attention to the primary condition for the arising of enlightenment factor of energy. So that's according to the scripture. So I, that's where I will have to remember this statement. So I'm going to explain a little bit because it's a little bit involved. There are so many words which probably are not familiar to you. They talk about wise attention. Do you know what is it? Uh, wise attention uh, in Buddhism, it means turning the mind towards again and again, making the mind towards. Literally, it means making in the mind. But also, it means bringing uh, your mind to the cause, the root cause of things. So whenever we say wise attention, you think along these lines, turning the mind towards something. So you turn the mind towards uh, the primary causes for the arising of uh, energy. So uh, the Buddha said the primary condition for the arising of uh, uh, energy is to pay wise attention to the three stages of energy. So there are three stages of energy, initial energy and sustained energy and uh, perseverance, perseverance energy. So these are called uh, three elements of energy. To pay wise attention to initial energy, this means applying your energy, arousing it initially 
let's say you are watching your mind uh, your mind uh, mindfulness of breathing in and out so you may be aware in out in out that's the initial energy it requires some energy rising and the four of abdomen falling rising falling so you make a mental note that helps to uh, arouse this initial energy Uh, this initial energy is very important uh, for our practice. And uh, I can see an analogy that you can relate to probably. Most of you, you have, I think, flow, uh, used airplane to travel. So you can see when you board a plane, there's a machine, it's called Electro. It has to pull it out from the, wherever it's parking. I already think that that machine must have a lot of energy because the plane is full of people and luggage and all that. So it pulls it out and aligns it and then it starts the engines and they start running a little bit, it stops and uh, then, oh, the, the, we are not going to fly now, weather is not very good. So it's still on a runway and then they say, oh, uh, there are many planes, we are waiting for instructions. So it's always working in fits and starts, this kind of initial energy. So uh, probably you have experienced this. You start um, being mindful of <coughs> breathing in and out, and then oh, you, you scratch your head, where am I? Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm at IMS, okay. Uh, you, then you remember the instructions, <laughs> in and out. So you work in fits and starts. So it's, a bound, to, it's bound to dwindle, this kind of energy. And I think it's very common, I know, uh, during, uh, uh, maybe, no, not during, but at the end of the retreat, people say, wow, this is amazing meditation. I'm going to meditate for one hour when I go home. When they go home, okay, one hour. <laughs> yeah, it's really good, a lot of energy. POC, next time when you sign, even another one. <laughs> then 30 minutes, then Oh, 20 minutes, then 10 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm meditating, actually. Then one minute, 50 seconds, one second. Then, finally, somebody's waiting for you there. You just got the Buddha statue and... Ciao. I'll see you next time. <laughs> see you later. You pet at the... <laughs> <laughs> you know a little bit of dust. <laughs> Where is your energy? <laughs> yeah? When I was at, uh, on staff, I used to stay upstairs. There. I say, really, it's amazing really, to meditate after three months retreat. I, I did then on staff here. I said, wow, I'm going to keep my meditation going. So I put a cushion up there in the attic there. But and then the chair, but sometimes I used to, to sell a lot of dust, <laughs> a lot of dust on my cushion. I said, I really must meditate. <laughs> sometimes I removed it a little bit. <laughs> now what I do at my monastery, I, at our monastery at Bhavana, I put the cushion actually near my bed. <laughs> Where I go, when I just come out, I just sit like this. A little. So it just reminds me. Even as a monk, I need to remind myself, you know, <laughs> because... I get very busy involved in the temple. I started in Uganda, this and this. It's very, very easy to really drop this energy. 
So the key then is to sustain the energy, which is the second energy, sustained energy. So we have, we have done the first energy, initial energy. The second energy is, to, uh, is called sustained energy. So we pay wise attention to sustained energy. This means to boost it up, step up. It's like pumping water on a hill. You have to use a booster pump to make sure it's, it's going. And this is what the energy you require to overcome pain, uh, hindrances, and all that thing you're talking about, sleepiness, chronic sleepiness, <laughs> sleeping syndrome. Sometimes people used to think that I have sleeping, uh, sleeping, uh, sleeping sickness, actually. Because in Uganda we have sesame flies, and then I used to doze a lot. So, <laughs> but uh, I think it was because of lack of energy. So you need to sustain this energy. When you are watching the rise and fall of abdomen, sometimes sleepiness arises. So it, it's because you are mindful of just a, a simple object, rising, falling. Hmm? Okay, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> you, you, you convince your, your fellow yogis that it's okay, but it's not okay. <laughs> you are really uh, daydreaming, actually. So it's not okay. You keep on nodding like this. So uh, the key then is actually to increase the objects of meditation. If you increase objects of meditation, like in, out, then you get some... Uh, more objects, touching, uh, obje like touch, touching sensations, let's say the knee touching the cushion, buttocks touching the cushion, then all where you have touch points. So you increase touch points as you go along. That will arouse a lot of mental energy. And you'll be surprised how this technique works. Before, before you resort to any other technique, this is a very, very simple technique. Let's say if you're watching rise and the fall of abdomen, rising, falling, then you say sitting, you don't have to say anything, just mentally walk, be mindful, mentally not rising, falling of the abdomen, then sitting, touching. Then you can go to many other touching points, because sitting is just sitting. <laughs> then, but there's so many touching, touch points you can feel in your body as you're sitting on a cushion. It works for me. I don't know if it works for you. It, it really creates a lot of mental energy. So I think uh, uh, you have so many techniques of overcoming sleepiness, pulling your ears and all that, but really I'm not going to go over these techniques. I think you have already had enough techniques to really work with. I call them toolbox. You just pull out whatever works for you. Sometimes it may not work, then you get another one. But the initial thing is really to have a mental attitude, uh, a proper attitude that sleepiness is another object to be mindful of. And it's happening due to causes and conditions. It's not that you're a bad yogi. It happens because it has its causes and conditions. The causes of co and condition of sleepiness is paying unwise attention to uh, lethargy, stretching after meals. Wow, this was a nice meal. I used to do that a lot. <laughs> and then, uh, especially when I was in South America, wow, go and take a siesta. Why not? <laughs> when I came at IMS, wow, it was different. So <laughs> I learned how to really ride a bike after lunch. That, that helped me so much. And then 
walking. I stay with Bante Gunaratana. He's over 80. He walks every day after lunch. We had a retreat with monks there. The young monks were so surprised that somebody of 80, he walks six hours after lunch. But other people, you know, they were just nodding. And it's just five, you know. I've just had a big meal. Let me rest a little bit. It's healthy. <laughs> the scientists say you should do it. But I've been seeing Bantu Gunaratana having a problem. <laughs> and he has been doing it a lot. And I do that also after lunch. It really helps a lot. So the key then uh, to overcome sleepiness is to pay wise attention to the three elements of energy we are talking about. If we pay wise attention, turning our mind again and again to these three elements of energy I'm talking about, initial energy, sustained energy, perseverance energy, sleepiness will go away. And the key is, this is very, very important. You must have this kind of proper attitude. Whether sleepiness go away or not, that's not the problem. The thing is that can we be aware when sleepiness is present? The effects of sleepiness on, uh, on your body, the heaviness of eyes, all these things we have to watch. And then we gain insights as we are doing that. The effects of sleepiness uh, on your mind. How do you feel the fogginess and all that? So we should really have a proper attitude, not this ugly sleepiness. I'm ju I just came only for three days and now I'm sleeping all the time. I'm a bad yogi and judging yourself. It's not a proper attitude. So it's very, very important, the approach you bring to these things. So the analogy I have for this, uh, as I, uh, we continue with the aeroplane, when it, start, it goes on a, on a runway, it, every engine is running, wow, it's just going. It's not going to stop because somebody didn't put in a luggage. It's just sustained. Just go like this. Okay, please fasten your belt. And blah blah. Okay, please, hostess, please sit down and all that. It's just co continuing. Actually, it's very interesting. Nekama, that's a Pali word for this energy. It has a connotation of motion, so it's not stagnant, like the initial energy. It has some kind of stagnation. So try it. The third energy is called uh, paying wise attention to the, uh, the perseverance. The Pali word is very interesting. It's called parakamadatu. Parakama means hero or heroine, <laughs> whatever it is. So, <laughs> so <laughs> hero. Now that gives us a, what uh, an idea what this kind of effort is. Heroic effort. Do you know heroes? Wow, all heroes have worked hard to, go, to reach their place, whether it's my, my, uh, Michael, Michael Jordan or Tiger War or whatever. Actually, they used to call me Michael Jordan here when I was a Thomas. <laughs> now I'm Michael Jordan or Buddhism. <laughs> I don't know when I shaved my head, I looked like that, apart from the height. So the executive day. <laughs> The executive director of IMS used to, to, to do like that, <laughs> telling me like that. So it was really amazing. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this is unremitting energy. It's the energy not to give up until you attain your goal, in which case is enlightenment. The analogy I have is that when a plane has taken off cruising in the air, it is destined for it to reach the airport unless I'm some terrorist. <laughs>
but it's destiny to reach the airport. Air pockets might be there, no way. <laughs> it's destiny to reach. So we want to watch this energy and pay wise attention until we really work out our way to final liberation. There is a good image I have, I don't know, in the United States, you use a lot of electricity. But in Africa, we used, we always um, boil our tea using wood, and uh, you have to fetch wood and put it there, and put a kettle there, and, and then some wood is wet and then stops, and, and then you have to go and look for dry wood again. So always we boil water and then it doesn't reach the boil point, and then you get another wood and pull it again. <laughs> so you can boil actual water for hours and hours. <laughs> it's not microwave. <laughs> so if you are, you are warming your practice, that's what's going to happen. You can practice from one center to another. It doesn't really matter. You will spend, you might even spend 30 years or 60 years practicing if you, you are practicing like the way we boil tea in Africa. I mean, the way we, we warm tea. <laughs> we really want to boil it, but we don't have enough wood. <laughs> and we, so the key then, this is the key. Put there enough wood which is dry, and you boil it within, we don't, you don't have even to really go away and to look for other wood. You put it in enough dry wood, and it reaches the boiling point. So this is my wish that the yogis who are practicing here you'll have this kind of energy that boils, that boils your practice to 100 degrees Celsius. Then you take a shortcut <laughs> that you're looking about. Where, where is a shortcut to Nibbana? Shortcut is to boil your practice, not to warm it. If you get the distinction, you just need to determine one day, I'm going to practice seriously according to the instruction ABCD that I've, been, I've got from my teacher. Th then you'll take it from there. Because the Buddha said that with this energy, you can cross the ocean of suffering. He emphasized a lot about energy. This is not effortless effort. You must apply energy. And he said something that even inspires me a lot and gives me a lot of energy. He said that it's better to live one day energetic and lose a youth than living a hundred years devoid of energy. How many days you have? You can count. You have three, two? <laughs> Work on that. <laughs> Only one day to be worthy living hundred years. Okay, lazy, like a snail and all that. So, Of course, I know you're very active, in, but when it comes to meditation, we need to apply energy. Uh, that's one way. There's another way of arousing energy from Buddhist scripture, mainly the Chinese uh, scriptures, but 
translated, of course, into in English to is to apply what we call the four right efforts. We have them in a pal canon in our scriptures. But in this case, uh, it was specifically mentioned that you can use these four kinds of efforts. These are the functions of energy. These, are, these four are really functions of energy if we want to be energetic. Probably electricity has so many uses. You can use it for, uh, for lights. You can use it to cook, to boil. Apart from your meditation, <laughs> there's no machine yet <laughs> to meditate for you. But you know, there are many functions of energy, roasting, cooking, and all that. So we use these four efforts to function in a different way. The first one is the effort uh, to restrain uh, or prevent. So you prevent an awesome uh, unskilled state of mind from arising in your mind's uh, uh, body process, in a, your thought process. So that's the first energy. The second one is uh, to abandon. And the third, of course, is to, uh, to develop. And the fourth is to uh, maintain. So we have those four that we are going to work with. Knowing each function, it's very, very helpful to arouse energy. So we, we begin with the effort to restrain or prevent. So whenever we, maybe we have a desire for ice cream, it's a hot day you know, <laughs> and we are missing it. So then desire arises. Out of nowhere, it arises. <laughs> we want an ice cream and here we cannot get it. Start to think about it or then build a whole story about ice cream. The topping I was going to really makes you happy. Now, since now you're sad, you're missing so and so. <laughs> so, the key is to really be aware, to restrain, to just be aware of desire, desire, mentally not desire. It might subside. Because if we don't do that, if we, rest, we don't restrain our senses or guard our senses, then liking is going to, uh, to arise. Then we are going to uh, also, because we can't go now, we are going to have a lot of aversion because there's some resistance uh, when it's going, the retreat is going to end to go for my ice cream and all that stuff. So then we'll be even confused sometime, really bewildered. And we are going to cultivate three and awesome states of mind. More desire, more aversion because you can't get an ice cream, and then more uh, confusion because you don't know even when the retreat is going to end <laughs> and to find <laughs> the first shop that sells ice cream. So you really are away now from meditation. You are not there now. <laughs> you are somewhere. <laughs> so we try to restrain. That helps a lot. So then uh, the second effort is to abandon the function of that effort is to abandon. That's how you have to understand it. Is to abandon uh, and awesome states. 
when they arise. Are you familiar with mental movies? Why are they common? You know the answer? No entrance fee. <laughs> you don't have to pay. What you have to do is to be unmindful. <laughs> A little bit of laziness. Wow, that's really amazing. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> raised the question, but actually, uh, it's just amazing what movies we have. It's just going on and on. And it's very interesting <laughs> to watch. You need to have what we call proper attitude when you are watching mental movies or thinking. Here the right attitude is that you are not going to make a vacuum in this head that you're not going to have thought. Forget about it. It has never happened. <laughs> Draining your head that is not thinking without having, to, without have, uh, having meditated and reached highest meditation absorptions and all that stuff. You're not going to do that by sheer will. That may I not, ha may I not have these thoughts. What you can do is to develop a good relationship with these thoughts when they arise by not reacting. I shouldn't be thinking. Everybody's meditating. Me, I'm just thinking all the time. No, that's not a good attitude. Not to overindulge in thoughts because the, the reason why you have a mental, mo mental movies, you're indulging it. Wow, Rio de Janeiro, yeah, next trip. <laughs> wow, this is good. <laughs> it's important not to push away, judging yourself, that's reacting, and you're creating more unawesome state of mind, that's aversion, and not to indulge, that's desire. And not get confused, because we might also be confused. Before we know it's one hour, bell ring, oh wow. <laughs> you don't know where you've been. It has happened to me, and it's happening sometimes. The key is to be mindful, use mindful, mindful energy to be aware of your thoughts. So you discern the difference between being caught up in thoughts and being aware of the thinking, thinking process. Because when you are aware of the thinking process, then there's freedom. If you are caught up in thoughts, there's bondage. You draw a line there. However fine it is, you have to draw a line. And once you know that it's being mindful and with energy, really to really be aware of these thoughts, you lose grasp of thoughts. They lose some uh, a kind of uh, grip. Otherwise, we become innocent victims of our thoughts. We torture ourselves, basically. Nobody is torturing us. The Buddha gave uh, uh, some ways of getting out of mental movies, Dist destructive thoughts. Some of you, maybe you might be suffering from uh, compulsive, obsessive thinking syndrome. Or maybe <laughs> you might be planning to have one, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even seasoned thinkers. 
After all, thinking is not really bad. <laughs> you just think. We, we thrive on thinking. In fact, outside the world there, if you don't think, <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> no paycheck. <laughs> you have to think even very fast, like a computer. If you don't give the answer, please say, <laughs> got it? <laughs> People really demand for your thinking, you know. So it's just really amazing, really. When we come to meditation, we have to be aware of our thoughts. The Buddha gave five ways of dealing with destructive thoughts. You'll be a master of your own thoughts if you do that. That's what the Buddha said. In modern terms, it would be probably called a thought management technique <laughs> to make it sound fussy and very American. And <laughs> okay, thought management technique, TMT. <laughs> Got it? <laughs> the first one is replacement. That's the technique you have to use. In case you have uh, thoughts, because we said that there's no problem with thinking. The problem is to think bad thoughts. Even I don't want to use ba bad thoughts, unskillful thoughts, because there's a difference between bad and unskillful. Shaking hands in the United States and Europe is fine. In India, they do like this. So it's relative. Bad and good is relative. Skillful, according to Buddhism, it doesn't fall into those relativity. So what is skillful or unskillful in the United States? It will be so in Uganda. It will be anywhere, unskillful or skillful. You want to know why? Let's get an example. If you touch fire and it burns you in the United States, you go to Uganda, it will, still fire will burn you and it will be very unskillful to touch fire. Whether you go to India or wherever. So it's very interesting to watch out these terms. Bad and good, there's some kind of relativity. It's not good for, and by the way, who said it's good or bad? The Pope or Buddha Rakita or the Buddha? You, there's a lot of things you have to figure out if say, somebody says that's bad or good. And we use these terms, of course, but when it comes to the Dharma, we have to use terms, especially when we, it comes to man mental states. I mean, if we are talking about apples and all that, Mercedes car and all that, we can say, okay, this is bad and good. That's ordinary language. When we come to meditation and the, our practice, we have to talk in terms of awesome and skillful, like that. Something skillful, psychologically uh, healthy. Ethically, it is free from greed, hatred, and delusion. It's very, very important to know that. Those who know about karma, chemically, or uh, cause and effect, it leads to happiness. It doesn't lead to suffering. So this is across the board. It doesn't matter where you are. It's going to be so <laughs> like that. So it's very, very important. So you might uh, hear me talking about skillful and unskillful instead of bad or good. It's very, very important. It's very, very important to draw the distinction. Then we don't feel guilty. Oh, yeah, I did something bad. Well, I did something unskillful. If this is the, the, the universality of it. So if something is skillful, if you remember this, it will be very good. It is leads to your happiness, 
the happiness of others and the happiness of, and the happiness of both. If something is like that, then we know it's skillful. Then we draw the line. If something is unskillful, it's leading to your suffering, the suffering of others, and the suffering of both. So that's the, the line we have to draw. So I will use this word skillful and unskillful, but you know exactly what I mean now. Okay, the first is to uh, replace it, replacement. So, and we've been doing this, I think, with meta, uh, in the session of meta. Uh, we, we replace something uh, unskillful with un a skillful thought. So meta, loving kindness, is skillful thought. So like greed, hatred, and delusion is unskillful. Uh, Non-greed, generosity. Non-hatred, loving kindness. Non-delusion, or non, uh, we can say non, uh, uh, thought of non-cruelty is compassion. So this is what we are doing, and we are going to do it at the end. So this technique is very easy because we are already practicing it. So the first technique is called replacement. So it's very easy. If that fails, there is another one. It's called reflection. So you reflect on uh, the, uh, re uh, the results of unskilled states of mind, like thought of anger. What's, going, what's the thought of anger does to you? How do you feel when you have anger? Do you have to go to the university to learn what anger does to you when it arises? You feel it yourself. So if you, you reflect along those lines, then you don't want to indulge in anger. You want to let it go. <laughs> There's a good, very good image uh, somebody gave, I think it was, uh, I think one of the teachers, he said that People, they hold on to something, uh, let's say, if it's hot, they hold on it. As soon as they feel it's hot, they drop it. But when it comes to our mental states, like anger that really burns us, our mind, why do we hold on to something that really uh, is burning our mind and body? And why do we entertain such a thing? Why don't we entertain a very hot and but like this, oh yeah, it's burning, it's burning. <laughs> yes, it's burning. <laughs> Do you have to wait for your boyfriend or <laughs> to tell you drop it or your a partner or whatever? No, we drop it quickly. <laughs> I think I like that image Joseph gave. It's really amazing. It reminds me very well when a version arises. Second technique, when that fails, it's called redirecting the mind. So you redirect the mind. Let's say if you are really swamped in a thought, you direct your mind somewhere to a less anger provo provocative object. Let's say mindfulness of breathing. When you breathe, I think there's no anger involved in the breathing. Not the same as you think about somebody really who made you angry. So basically, you redirect your mind from somewhere. You disengage yourself and go somewhere. And then come back later on. Once it has subsided, you can always come back. It's, and we get these instructions, actually. You remember when the teacher said, okay, if you feel you are lost and all that, come back to the breath. So we keep on coming back again and again and again. So that is the second, uh, I mean the third, redirecting the mind. 
Then this, the fourth is retracing. So while reflecting is working forward, retracing is working backwards. Okay, now I have anger. Where does anger come? Sent by, by God to you? Or who sent anger to you? <laughs> Figure it out. Where anger rises from desire. Do you believe that? Because desire is bipolar. Desire to get and desire to push away. So when the pain comes, we want to push it away. We don't want it. So then the key is to really uh, redirect our mind. <laughs> uh, we have to redirect our mind like that. Uh, I mean, sorry, we have to retrace these thoughts. Okay, where did it? Where do they? Where, where did they come from? Come from anger or uh, thought of anger to the pain or whatever? It came from desire. And where does desire come from? You work backwards. From ignorance, you are ignoring. And where does ignorance come from? Unwise attention. And where does unwise attention, uh, unwise attention come from? It's come from ignorance. So I think you better stop there, otherwise you'll get exhausted. <laughs> so I think that's a good place to stop. <laughs> Retracing. So uh, then uh, the fifth one and the last one is resistance. This uh, looks like... Uh, uh, not very Buddhist, but actually uh, the simile given there is to crush the mind by mind, but uh, really it means that <laughs> and the Buddha actually gave up such practices that you shouldn't take it free. It's a figurative speech. shouldn't make it, uh, take, it, take it too literally. So I and even my teacher gave this suggestion is to make sure that you, may, you, may, you mentally not the object, I mean the, the, the let's say anger, the, the mind state itself than the object. Let's say ice cream. You don't say ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. <laughs> you just say, oh, desire, desire. So you are t using the mind to face the, what's in the mind, basically. Ice cream is not yet in the mind, so no need to, ment to, to note it. So those are the five errors. I think one teacher co contributed to an error and another one in the scriptures, and then I came up with retracing. So we have five errors. If you remember those five errors, as in red, R as in red, my pronunciation, I have to work on that, African heavy pronunciation. Error. <laughs> American. <laughs> West Virginia. I had to learn that one. <laughs> <laughs> when I came from Africa here, I have a bad R, and then I used to get fascinated seeing birds. I used to say, I saw birds. I say, what? They say, bird. <laughs> <laughs> so if I sound like American, so you'll know. <laughs> okay, let's see. Now, that pattern is only to the second function of effort or energy. So the third function of effort is to develop. So whenever less mindfulness arises, you develop it. That's very easy. I'm not going to go over that because uh, I think the techniques, the Buddha's TMT is, is quite enough to deal with. <laughs> so just keep on developing. And then maintaining, you maintain the same thing that, that, that have arisen. So that's very easy to deal with it. So let's go to uh, the, uh, the joy. 
fact of enlightenment. Uh, I know that all of you now are floating because everybody <laughs> likes to be to have joy, you know, have joy. It's really amazing. I like even the word joy. Uh, the Pali word is pity. Pity. Uh, it's a really interesting word. P means uh, to gladden, to please. So the mind is pleased. So that mental state that is pleasing, uh, it's uh, it's pity. Actually, uh, some people say uh, zest, pleasurable, joy, feeling. So many translations, but I, I like more of the word joy. I don't know why. I just like the word joy. So if people talk about rapture, that's fine, but I'll talk more of joy. Okay. Joy has a function of gladdening the mind. It's also, according to the scripture, scriptures, its uh, supporting cause is buoyance or elation. So there's a difference between joy and happiness. So don't confuse the two. Uh, joy is more gross and its happiness is more subtle. So again, uh, this is a kind of like maybe language usage, but I don't know. But I, I can tell you the difference clearly if you're going to get your food. <laughs> Joy is uh, an anticipation of getting something, and you really get joy, joyful. And happiness is the contentment when you have got something. Now you're lining to get food. You see, wow, pizza. Then you start to do Stretch your neck. You do what you call, uh, uh, what's it called? It's called neck yoga. <laughs> you don't have to go to the yoga teacher. <laughs> You're in good shape. <laughs> Try to survey the tail and see what, how much you'll get and all that. So there's that joy that arises, and that's very ordinary. Now you get your food, you have a heap of food, and you sit down and eat. I say, wow, I'm not going to take evening meal. <laughs> and now I'm contented. I'm really happy about this. So that's the distinction, actually. So it's very, very important to draw the distinction. Of course, there's household joy. There's different kinds of joy. Household joy, like whenever uh, you see things uh, by eyes and charming and you're very happy. Wow, you, you put on a nice dress or whatever. You really, uh, you really have joy at home whenever you see somebody well-dressed. Wow, you... Darling, you look today wonderful. It's honey, <laughs> honey, and <laughs> believe it. So you get joy, you don't have to meditate. <laughs> I'm, talking, I'm talking about different joy now. <laughs> Just in case you get confused. This is a joy of renunciation. Renunciation. This is experiencing the impermanence of things when things are rising and passing away. You really feel joy. Things are changing. Those are not uh, uh, new news to us. Always things are changing. We have seen our relatives, ourselves, and everything in the world. 
And even Buddha said that whenever you watch the five aggregates, the mind, and body, let us simplify things. Okay, when you see things changing and rising and passing away, you, you feel joy. To those who know, this is the path to deathless. This is the path to deathless. That means this is the path to full enlightenment. You start seeing things change. So you can cultivate this joy, even when you don't have your darling here. <laughs> to, to have that joy. There's joy that comes from renunciation. Chances are that you see people who are renunciate, they might be happy. I don't know if you have seen them. Joy. <laughs> are, they, are they familiar to you? May I have one, the Dalama? <laughs> it's just amazing. Okay, uh, there's also unworldly joy. Joy that's uh, even more higher of, uh, of really totally, totally letting go of greed, hatred, and delusion. So that is joy. According to Buddha, joy arises from paying wise attention to, uh, sorry, by paying wise attention to the, uh, the things that causes joy to arise. And they are there, that things that cause joy to arise, if you pay wise attention to them, joy will, will arise naturally. Like uh, the qualities of the Buddha, qualities of the Dharma, qualities of the Sangha. Uh, in my, uh, my talk uh, at the opening day, I talked about Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So I think you remember that. So for us, when we think about a Buddha, really, there's a lot of joy. Because the function of the Buddha is to show others the path to liberation. When you totally get, get, got lost in a forest, and somebody show you uh, the way out, how do you feel? For us, it is a great joy. But I don't know if you relate very well to you. To, uh, you relate very well to the Buddha. If you cannot, there's Dharma. Dharma means to uphold. You know that there's something to protect you. And it's visible here and now. Whatever you're practicing is visible here and now. You don't have to wait. Sangha, really to be really among a community that is aspiring to have the same thing, not to go shoot people here and over there and over there. I'm not talking about that. But a Sangha is really the people who have realized the path and also us who really supporting, really who are committed to that path. So there are many qualities I, th I think uh, I'll give you homework to read it, <laughs> to read them that will really arouse joy in you, but don't worry. Uh, there's always something to uh, be mindful and uh, uh, of and then you can uh, arouse joy, like uh, uh, the precepts you are keeping already. It's amazing that you are able to hold this container of five precepts or eight precepts. And even the Buddha said that, it really, this is very interesting. The Buddha said that if you, you, you practice the, these precepts, the five precepts, you have five benefits. You give freedom from fear to all beings, not only your, uh, your friends, but the whole beings. Snakes and all that, and everything. You give freedom of free from danger, freedom to everybody. Friends, there's a war somewhere <laughs> in Iraq. Even if I walk the whole United States, I cannot give freedom to all people. Even if I build all temples in Africa, I cannot. 
easiest way to protect all the world is to practice even the five precepts. And when, once you reflect on that, joy can arise that I'm doing something wonderful to the world. The world is full of wounds. The world is full of uh, wars. And who's going to heal them? It has to start somewhere. <laughs> you don't give all this work to the United Nations. <laughs> Actually, one of the mission is, to, to, uh, is freedom from want and freedom from fear. Also, that's another mission. They have done it. But we have to start individual. And when we reflect that we can do that to protect people from, from fear, we have a lot of joy that we are accomplishing. We are accomplishing so much in a short time. I mean, you can choose to walk the whole world and get all blisters and all that, <laughs> but it is not going as, to be more effective, as much effective as yourself trying not to kill, not to this, not to do this, not to this. No, people say, oh, precept, there's no freedom. And no. I'm telling you, monks keep more, but we, feel more, we have more freedom. <laughs> so, there's a lot of freedom. There's a lot of joy that you are giving out in the world there or something. To your, and yourself, of course. Uh, the beauty of joy uh, is that it can help you to overcome ill will or anger. It's a non-sensual joy, and you can overcome anger. Because when you have a lot of joy, you don't want to harm somebody. You are filled with joy. Sometimes you can feel, feel joy, and you cannot even sleep the whole night. It has happened to me. For some reason, this joy, and I cannot sleep. Hope it doesn't happen to after this Dhamma talk. <laughs> I, I need my sleep. <laughs> so, so even giving Dhamma talks, actually, you feel a lot of joy. Because you are sharing with people, listening to Dhamma talk. That's why yeah, at the monastery, whenever possible, I listen to Dhamma talk. You feel a lot of joy. Friends, we uh, have talked a lot of things, I don't know. But let us just summarize a little bit, not everything, but we've talked about uh, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the enlightenment factor of uh, uh, energy. We talked about uh, the three elements of energy, initial energy, sustained energy, and perseverance energy. We've seen TMT. Wow, put it on a refrigerator. It works. <laughs> no, at least for me, <laughs> that's the Buddha's way. It's really uh, amazing. Uh, we've seen uh, the four functions of energy. We've seen the, uh, the three kinds of joy. And we've seen the four ways of cultivating joy. Uh, the, the, the three refuges plus reflecting on the, your ethical conduct. Uh, I'm sorry if you are um, ethically or morally bankrupt. I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> Actually, if, even if, <laughs> I don't know what, there are so many solutions, but we don't uh, have enough time. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, that's what we have seen. Uh, <laughs>
it's up to you to get enlightenment. <laughs> Some of you are, might have asked me, what do you do to get an en energy every day? There's something I do, and I would like to share with you uh, this. Every morning I wake whenever possible, I put this, because this is one of the first beings I met on my spiritual path in India in 1994. He inspired me a lot, so even up to now I put this picture in front of my bed. And as soon as I wake up, before I do anything, this is my reflection. Let me share this with you. It's called, uh, it's from the, the Dalai Lama, The Precious Human Life. Every day think as you wake up. Today I am fortunate to have woken up. Uh, woken up. I, have a, I am alive. I have a precious human life. I'm not going to waste it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use all my energies to develop myself, to expand my heart out to others, to achieve enlightenment for the benefit of all beings. I'm going to have kind thoughts towards others. I'm not going to get angry or think badly about others. I'm going to benefit others as much as I can. This is very powerful for me to begin every day. Let us uh, sit for a moment or two. Atu pamaya sabbe sam satanam suka kamato pasitwa kamato metta bhavasate subhavaye. Having seen that all beings like oneself have a desire for happiness, one develop loving kindness for all beings. I offer this for your reflection. Thank you very much. attain enlightenment in this very lifetime. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.